apostles had been arrested and put in prison, but God freed them, and they went right back into the temple to tell people about Jesus. And when they were brought again in front of the religious leaders, they told them the gospel. So how did they react? Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 5, verse 33, and here's Pastor David. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Okay, so the apostles are becoming like Jesus. They're becoming like Jesus. How do we know that? Well, because contrary to the story that you hear about Jesus being this guy that was really nice that everybody liked... And everybody liked Jesus, and wherever he went, everybody liked him. That's actually not historical. And if you read the Gospels, you'll see quite clearly that, in fact, quite a few people, when he talked, wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. They rejected the truth that he brought. They picked up rocks to throw at his head. That's how it worked. It was not uncommon when he said things that people rejected it or were confused. Remember, they did kill him. They did kill him eventually. And so the apostles are now finding themselves in the same situation that Jesus was in, which is that when they speak the truth of Jesus Christ, people want to kill them. That's where they're at. And we hear this word, it's translated in in this version, they were furious. In the King James Version, it says something like they were cut to the heart. Now, the Greek word actually sort of signifies the idea of being sawed asunder. Asunder meaning basically separated or in half. So it was like literally their heart was ripped in half. Emotionally, this is that way it affected them. They were enraged, angry, angry. Because remember, the apostles just said, you killed God. You killed God. They were accusing them of murdering the Messiah. Right, And so the Sanhedrin, these leaders, they were very, very, very angry. Very, very, very angry. And the apostles had made them that way. And so let's look at the next verse. Verse 34, it says, Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. So Gamaliel comes, and, and he stands up, and, and Gamaliel, let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a guy, he was the grandson, according to a number of commentators, the grandson of a guy named Hillel. And Hillel had been a great teacher, a very, very, very famous teacher of the Jews. And he had a line, it went from him, uh, some commentators say his son's name was Simeon, and then the next guy was Gamaliel. Simeon may have been, may have been, the guy who we see, if you read, when, when Jesus is born and they bring him to the temple, there's this man who they say was waiting for the kingdom of God, and he sees the baby and realizes this is the Messiah. That may have been Gamaliel's father, Simeon. We don't know that for sure, though. That's speculation. Either way, that was probably his father's name, and Gamaliel is this guy, and it says that he was... It says that the people respected him, right? He was well-respected. In fact, this guy was so respected that when he died, many people thought that it was the end, essentially, of a way of life because Gamaliel had been such a strong teacher. In fact, we'll find out that the Apostle Paul, who was a serious, serious scholar of the Bible, of the Torah, of the law, had actually learned from Gamaliel. And when Gamaliel died, a couple different commentators basically said that that was kind of the the end, the end of true Pharisaism, the end of of true uh, Judaism. 
you know, and that it had sort of been not as good ever since, right? Remember, this guy was a Pharisee. We talked last time about the Pharisees versus the Sadducees versus the Essenes, these different sects of people. He was a, he was a Pharisee, so that meant... He believed in the resurrection from the dead. He was more likely to be kind of working class rather than very wealthy like the Sadducees, etc. That's who this guy is. So he stands up and he says, put these guys outside. So now the, the apostles who have seen the, the Sanhedrin, all these men get quite upset. When, when someone is cut to the heart in the way that it's described there, there's no question that the anger was visible. They would have been like almost, if you ever seen somebody get really, really angry, like you've said something and they turn red in the face and they're ready with a murderous wrath. That's what these guys had seen. So there's 71 dudes there. And when the apostles speak and are done speaking, they see this anger and they see these guys are plotting to kill them. So when Gamaliel says, hey, you guys go outside for a minute, what they have to be thinking is when they call us back in, it's death. You remember being a kid and your mom said something like, Wait until your father gets home, right? And, and, and you were sitting, out, sitting there, oh God, please, if just this one time, if you'll just, she used my middle name when she called me, I know this is bad. You know, that type of thing. That's probably what's going on out there. These guys are probably praying that their lives would be spared because they know how angry, how angry these guys are. Let's look at the next couple of verses. He says, and he said to them, this is Gamaliel, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Okay, so... Who are these guys? Gamaliel is talking about a couple guys. First, he says, hang tight, guys. Slow down. Tap the brakes. Everybody relax. He can see how angry they are. You know how it is when you're driving and your husband or your wife or whoever's in the car with you and somebody cuts you off and you get really angry, right? And, and, and you start to it and your wife or your husband or whoever says, hey, relax, right? This is what my wife does to me. Hey, calm down, right? This is exactly what you just did to somebody the other day. Right? And to which, by the way, that was me. If it happened to you, it was probably me. I wasn't paying attention. I was thinking about my sermon, all right? And I cut you off. It was my bad. But, and I'll say, no, I wasn't anything like what I did the other day. And she gives me that look like, you know? And I'm like, okay, you're right. But I'm still mad. And that person should still be sorry for what they did. But either way, she sees when the anger starts to rise, the more mature person says, everybody calm down. Everybody relax. And that's what Gamaliel did. And because he was so respected, they listened to him. Okay, they slowed their roll. They tapped the brakes. They relaxed for a minute. Well, Gamaliel was going to kind of hold forth. Okay, then he tells us about these two guys, Theodos and Judas of Galilee. Theodos and Judas of Galilee. He says, Theodos was this guy. He thought he was somebody. He thought he was all that. He thought he was the big man. And about 400 people joined him. And then he got killed and his people scattered. And then he says later during the census, this guy, Judas of Galilee, comes along. And he kind of starts this revolt, and people kind of flock to him, and then he gets killed, and the people scatter that were, that were part of it. Now, there's an issue here, and this is kind of complicated, so try to follow very closely. There's an issue here with Scripture. Some people claim that this part of this speech that Gamaliel gives in the book of Acts is incorrect. In other words, it's historically inaccurate, and therefore, the book of Acts and the whole Bible is all bunk. 
That's, that's sort of the, the argument, okay? And I'll tell you why they say that. There's a guy named Josephus. He was a Jewish man in the first century, and he, and he wrote a history, okay? The history of the Jewish people at this time. And he mentions um, jo, I'm sorry, Judas of Galilee and the rebellion that he led. And he mentions at the same time that Gamaliel says, during the census, there was this guy, Judas of Galilee. He led this rebellion. This is what happened. People, you know, he was killed. The people scattered and so on. So that part is right on. But Theodos, Josephus mentions a man named Theodos who led a rebellion in about 44 to 46 AD. Now, why is that important? Because Gamaliel is actually speaking here in the early mid-30s. So he could not be talking about something that happened in 44 to 46 AD. But yet, that's the Theodos rebellion that Josephus talks about. And so we have a problem. We have a problem. This speech is being, this, they will say, well, they put this speech in, you know, had Gamaliel say the speech, but they say they were confused about the history, and that proves that he never really said it. So these things that were recorded were not really true. Okay. So, we can all go home because the Bible's obviously not true, or is it possible that I'm going to give you an explanation? Um, I'll let you guess. All right. So here's what happened, okay? Here's the deal. Basically, Theodos is a name, a Greek name, that actually there's a number of other names in Greek that also would be would be rendered Theodos, okay? I'm not going to name them all because I can't pronounce them. There's like Theodosius and Theu something and Theo this and Theo that. And they all could be Theodos. So that's one issue. The other thing is that Jews at the time often used a Greek name also or would be described in histories with a Greek name also that roughly translated from their Jewish name. And there's a number of Jewish names that roughly translate in Greek to the word Theodos, okay? And then we have the fact that Josephus talks about Many, many, many rebellions and uprisings and issues like this that happened prior to Judas of Galilee around the time that Herod the Great died. Okay, so follow me. Herod the Great dies. It's actually several years later that the census happens and Judas of Galilee leads a rebellion. During this time, when, when, when Josephus is talking about it, he just says 10,000. He just says there were 10,000 issues like this that went on. And so what we know is, is there were all kinds of little uprisings that happened where Josephus didn't take the time to actually record them because they were relatively small numbers of people, relatively small numbers. This is, Gamaliel says about 400 men followed Theodos, okay? This is what Josephus says. He says, a certain charlatan whose name was Theodos persuaded a great part of the people to take their effects with them and follow him to the Jordan River. Now here's the deal. A great part of the people is a lot more than 400, okay? A great part of the people is a lot more than 400. This guy, the reason they're going to the Jordan, this guy Theodos that Josephus is talking about, basically said, I'm going to part the Jordan River. I, I have the power, basically he was kind of, he, he was a false messiah. I'm going to part the Jordan River like, like happened when the Israelites came into the land. I'm going to do that. So people started following him. The Romans were like, no, not happening. Went, killed him, chopped his head off. People scattered, okay? That's what went on. That's what went on. But the bottom line is, is that, in fact, they're right. He couldn't have been describing it. It happened many years after this speech occurred. He was describing a rebellion of some guy named Theodos or some Hebrew guy whose name translated roughly to Theodos who, that probably happened right around the time that Herod the Great died. And there's no reason to believe that's not true. A, the two, the two things don't match up. They don't match up. And here's the other thing that's even more important. The book of Acts was written so early so closely after the actual thing of, of this Theodos that Josephus talks about, 
that there's no way they would have made that mistake. There's no way the mistake would have been made. It would be like me saying that JFK was president before FDR was president. Some of you are looking at me like you don't have the little placemat that's got the presidents on it, okay? <laughs> JFK comes after FDR. So it would be like me doing it. It would be very easy to check out and see that it was false. The book would have never been believed by anybody. Never. But yet it was believed and continues to, believe, to be believed to this day. And in fact, Luke is considered one of the highest level historians of this time period because he was so accurate, meticulously accurate in talking about the times, places, people, and events that he describes. Acts is about facts, right? This is what the book is, okay? The book is about facts. It's a history. It's a historical document. And so it is impossible, impossible that this mistake was made, that in fact, the theodist that Gamaliel is referring to is this theodist that Josephus refers to. It's impossible. It cannot be so. It would have automatically invalidated the book of Acts right when it came out, which is probably right around 62, okay, 62 AD, something like that. Is it probably 62, 63, somewhere in there? And we know that because of where it stops. And yet there's more to that story. Had it come out later, they would have recorded more of what happened, particularly with the Apostle Paul. So right around 62, somewhere right in there, is when the book of Acts is written. You're talking about less than 20 years since, this, since the Theodos thing happened. Okay, Everybody knew about it. it was, when big things happen like that, and the Romans come and they kill people, everybody knows what happened. No one would have made this mistake in 62. Okay, you might feel like I took a long time to do that, but someday you're going to run into somebody... And they're going to have this particular one is going to be one of these things that they say, oh, see, Scripture's wrong because of this. And now you know that it's not. So that's what is going on. Now, we see them, these, these two men that lead these rebellions that Gamaliel is referring to, and we notice one really interesting thing that separates those instances from the instance that we're dealing with with the apostles. Okay, Let's look at the facts. These men said they were somebody, gathered a following, died, and the people scattered. Okay, both of them, same thing. Started the following, people came around them, they were killed, and the people scattered. Both of them killed by the Romans, and the people scattered. This situation with the apostles is very different. Jesus died, and these people were claiming he rose again. Nobody was saying Theodos rose again. Nobody was saying Judas of Galilee rose again. Nobody. In fact, once they died, no one was following them anywhere. Like, well, that didn't work. That didn't work out for me. I better hide out and hope nobody knows that I was with that guy. But with Jesus, it's different. With Jesus, it's different. All these people are saying he rose again. And he's actually gaining more followers after he died. After he died. So we have a very different thing happening here. Nevertheless, Gamaliel says, look at these two instances. And then this is what he says after that. It says, uh, and now I say to you, Emmanuel's still talking here. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Now this is an interesting thing that he says, okay? It's a very interesting thing that he says. Certainly, Emmanuel understands practically the issue with killing these guys, which is what everybody wants to do. Let's not forget from the last time that we talked about this, when they went to go get these guys from the temple to bring them, you remember they said they had to take them without violence because they feared the people would stone them because they loved the apostles so much. So Gamaliel understands that even from a practical standpoint, you can't go out and kill these guys because you may 
have the people turn against you. So he knows that. But also he's trying to say something wise, okay? He's trying to say something that will help these people to uh, make a good decision. And so he says, look, if this plan is of, of God, it's, you can't stop it. You'd be fighting against God. If it's of men, it will go away. He's right for sure about one thing. If it's of God, you cannot stop it. If it's of God, it cannot be stopped. Satan has been trying to stop the church of Jesus Christ for over 2,000 years. I cannot tell you how many people have prophesied, predicted the end of Christianity. Have said there's no way that in 2016 there would be people that believe in this. There's no way it'll ever happen. Those people are dead, and here we sit. If it's of God, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be overcome. There's no question he's right about that, but he says something else besides that, okay? He says that if it's of man, it will not be successful. Now, to some, that's more complicated. To some extent, when we think long-term, long-term, I agree that if something is of man, it will not be successful. In other words, at the end of all things, only God's plans will prevail. And every philosophy and every religion and everything that was invented by people that's not true will fail. But that does not mean that in the more short term, the things that are not of God and are just of people will not be successful. In fact, there are a number of religions that continue to gain converts that are false, that are untrue. They're of man, and yet they continue to gain converts. They're successful in that sense. Some of them have been successful for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years, right? There are philosophies that are successful, and yet they're not of God, right? We talked about postmodernism earlier this year and how postmodernism, even on its own, it kind of, it kind of commits suicide on its, on its own self. Logically, it's incoherent. It doesn't make sense, and yet continuously people sort of flock to that philosophy as the way that they think about life and their worldview. It's totally of man, totally of people. It's totally not of God, and yet it's successful. Here's the thing. We do not figure out what is true by figuring out what is successful. We do not figure out what is true by figuring out what is popular, right? We don't say, what is the popular thing to think and then think that that thing is true because it's popular. In other words, what Gamaliel is saying is, if it's of God, it'll be successful. Well, not everything that's successful is of God. Everything that is of God will be successful, but not everything that's successful will be of God. Does that make sense? It may not. You may have to watch the video. Okay. Just because it's successful doesn't mean it's of God. If you were to have been transported from 1950 and you held all the beliefs that were successful and popular at that moment in time, and you went to dinner with your family and started spouting off those beliefs, those beliefs about a number of things, about science, about race relations, about a number of other things, people would look at you like you were crazy, right? Like you were crazy. What are you talking about? Those things aren't popular to believe anymore. And guess what? If you take the cultural moment that exists today right now and you go 50 years into the future and you start talking about the things that we think are true today, when I say we, I mean society, culture, the things that are popular, you will just as much be thought of as silly. If you've, if you've taken some beliefs that were popular at a certain time, they're not likely to be popular later on, right? Because they're not true. 
because they're not likely to be true. What's popular is not what's likely to be true. Jesus was not popular. They killed him. They killed him, right? He wasn't popular. When he spoke, people reacted to it, right? We talked about how there's two reactions to Jesus, okay? Those who accept and those who reject. We went over a couple of verses last time, and I know I'm going to mess with the person who's back there because this actually is earlier in the slideshow, but you'll have to just deal with it. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We're the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life and who is sufficient. For these things. So, what's going on here? When you speak the truth about Jesus, people will generally have one of two reactions, okay? Falling into one of these two camps. They'll be attracted or they'll be repelled. They'll be attracted or they'll be repelled. We can see what happened here. These guys are repelled. As opposed to what we saw when we studied the second chapter of Acts. They gave the same gospel message to the Jews at that time. Remember, there were Jews from all over the world who had been there for Pentecost. But many of those Jews were probably there and had consented to the the death of Christ. And when they said, hey, you murdered Jesus, but he rose again and there's forgiveness, their reaction was that they were pricked in the heart. But their reaction was sadness, sorrow. What did they say? What should we do? What should we do? To which Peter told them, repent. Repent. Turn from your sin, be saved, which they did. 3,000 of them on that day. What about these guys? Same story, but instead of saying, I'm sorry, God, help me, they said, I want to kill the person who's saying Isn't that amazing? When faced with the undeniable truth of Jesus, some people still don't get it. So how about you? Have you realized that you need a Savior? If so, or if you still have questions, we'd love to help. Call us at 360-885-9000 or come see us at Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington this Sunday morning. We'll answer your questions and introduce you to the life-changing truth of Christ. Easy directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Hope to see you this Sunday. And be sure and check out our next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.